0: let's talk about WWE Backlash in San Juan, Puerto Rico. But first... Let me say thank you to each and every one of you guys that have listened to this podcast all around the world and continue to do so and do the little things that add up, such as sharing, commenting, liking, telling a friend, letting them know that the Square Circle podcast by yours truly, Marie Shadows, is doing wonderful things and having conversations in wrestling and basically updating you guys on professional wrestling I'm having the best time of my life doing this, and I'm so happy that you guys are here along for the ride. So if you enjoyed this episode about me talking about WWE Backlash, make sure to either fill out the poll at the end of this if you are on Spotify, or answer the questions that come up cuz there is a Q&A section and also a poll section that Spotify has implemented so that way you the listeners can definitely give your feedback on episodes. So let's talk about WWE Backlash. 2005 was the last time WWE was in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It was headlined by Triple H. Triple H got the title and that was it. It's not until now, 2023, WWE went back to Puerto Rico and it was the best thing ever, the best feeling ever. And that's because I'm half Puerto Rican, half Italian. And I had a lot of pride going into this pay-per-view and the lead up to this pay-per-view and the fact that the LWO is back. And I really do think that it was just amazing overall. The pay-per-view overall before we get into the matches was really good. It was fun. It was nice. It had that Puerto Rican energy, that very hype energy, like really great through and through. The only downside is that my Puerto Rican pride got hurt because, spoiler alert, Selena Vega did not dethrone Rhea Ripley during her title match at WWE Backlash. And so my Puerto Rican pride was hurt because how do you build that up so much, have that underdog story? And Selena Vega basically played the long game in the wrestling business. Not every wrestler can do that, meaning that not every wrestler is going to subject themselves to all the very low points in their career where no one really remembers exactly what they did or remembers their accomplishments or accolades, even if like. The wrestlers themselves are getting paid good money, and that's what it's about sometimes to have that safety net of money coming in. So they might not look at it as such a big deal, but other wrestlers would want some type of glory to go into their careers and not just insignificant little things losing here and there having inconsistencies so every wrestler is different out there and I applaud Selena for again playing the long game of being in WWE doing everything that is expected of her and asked of her without question and now was her time now was her time because she is overdue for something significantly And yes, I know I read your comments. I'm on Twitter 24-7. So if any of my Twitter friends hear this, this is my response to you guys, to the stuff that I put on Twitter about Selena not winning. And, you know, I get it that the bigger moment is a standing ovation when Selena was in the middle of the ring, even though she lost and she had her moment and people were cheering. In Puerto Rico, it's still like... They should have gave her the belt, the win, because then you solidify that trust with the Puerto Rican crowd, with the Puerto Rican fans. And we know that are just as seen as everybody else. I'm really trying to choose my words carefully because I know someone's going to get offended by this. It's just that sometimes in sports, especially in wrestling, You don't really know who's a Puerto Rican, who's a Dominican, because we all blend in. You don't even know who's Cuban. Perfect example is Cody Rhodes. Perfect example. No one knew he was Cuban until AEW put him on the poster when we celebrate Latino and Latina Heritage Month. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm half Cuban. And it's like, what? But then you're like, oh, that explains a lot why you're very hot tempered and you like Cuban cigars and the way you dress. That's a big thing. So it's sort of like if Selena Vega would have won in Puerto Rico, it would have solidified that trust even further and create more new fans to probably tune in. They probably watched the product, but it would have been a little bit more better for Selena to win to just bring everybody together and then they could have multiple shows run there in the future and stuff you know getting back to the point also is that when we do see Puerto Ricans and Dominicans in professional wrestling it's very few and far between and sometimes they may not reach the standards and heights of what we consider a wrestler to be the top dog, the top girl, the best of the best of the best. Sometimes their careers are cut shorter than everyone else. So I kind of want to just be in my feelings for just a good handful of moments that I still think that Selena should have won. And just because she got her moment in that standing ovation, that's not enough. That's all I'm going to say on that. And now we're going to be talking about the matches because we're going to be getting into the storytelling aspect of what was missed last night on Backlash. We open up WWE Backlash with the women fighting for the Raw Women's Championship title that Bianca still has. So it's Bianca versus Io Sky. The crowd was cheering Io so much and I learned this yesterday because I never really watched Lucha Underground because I could never get into that type of cinematic way of creating wrestling. So, thanks to Duke from Duke Loves Wrestling, he let me know that Sky was on Lucha Underground, part of the Black Lotus faction, and that is why she had an overwhelming support from Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rican fans, and I was really really surprised. I was basically about to tweet that Eo is an honorary member of Puerto Ricans because they really loved her and they loved what she was doing. They were booing Bianca which was very surprising too. It was very interesting. Bianca was trying to keep the fans on her side but that wasn't gonna happen and going into this match EO was the heel and Bianca was the face but then the Puerto Rican crowd was like nah we want a new champion you know we're cheering for EO. and honestly I really do think that we should have had a new champion because let's face it the WWE draft just happened tomorrow is May 8th Monday Night Raw according to Triple H Everything that happened during the WWE draft gets put into place on May 8th. So, why not go in with a brand new champion going into Monday Night Raw with EO Sky and damage control at her side? What is the point of Bianca still holding on to the Raw Women's Championship when she has been drafted to SmackDown? So here's a story that they could have went with. So let's fix it for a moment. At this point, Bianca has a very good run as WWE Women's Champion. Her continuing to hold it on. Her continuing to hold the championship title doesn't make any sense when there are no new opponents and no new angles. It wouldn't make sense for SmackDown women to challenge for Bianca's title, which is still Monday Night Raw. So, if Io would have won last night in Puerto Rico, she would be entering Raw tomorrow night as champion. Would have. It's a dream. A dream that came crashing down. The reason why Io should have won is because it would have been a fresh new chase. And then we could have gotten the seeds planted for a damage control breakup. Because honestly, I'm okay with damage control, but they're not the best. And I'm not exactly sure why that's not coming across as them being a really good trios faction. But then again, WWE doesn't invest their time into trios factions. So I can't really expect them to get it right away when they try something. And I like the fact that WWE tried something, but it's just not really working to the full of its ability, its potential. Having trios in professional wrestling has a lot of potential. The only other good one is definitely New Day. New Day as a trios team is definitely a good one. But if WWE focuses on trios as well and try to juggle everything, like I would love to see it. But... Let's just say that EO did win. Dakota Kai and Bailey were definitely going to be celebrating with her at her side. But then, you know, EO starts to put two and two together that maybe being in this team is not the best choice. And that EO has always been the breakout star. EO has always been the star. And if you guys are on Twitter 24 7 like me, you would have noticed that the We Are Stardom Twitter account definitely told another fan that EO was always a star and I definitely popped for it man that was really cool but yeah EO needs the spotlight on her own has some new fresh matchups if she was champion and brought it back to Raw who would be her first opponent you guys tell me if Io would have won the championship title who would you have liked to see her wrestle first I think that we don't get enough of surprises in wrestling and when we do get surprises the dirt sheets ruin it and just put it out on the internet like they have no consequences coming towards them. So I would say the nice little surprise would be Bailey telling Io, "You owe me a shot at the title." Again, if Io was champion, I would like to see Io Sky versus Bailey for a championship title match. That would definitely throw everybody off. It would definitely create some awkwardness within the group, but Bailey has always been the one to push the group forward, do things, make decisions when sometimes decisions were not needed to be made, but she did it rashly. But she was always the forefront of this trio's group. While you have Eo and Dakota Kai being the support around Bailey. And that's why they work really well as a trio's. They have that dynamic chemistry. However, it just doesn't translate to the screen very well. And I'm really trying to think of other times, other examples where I could be like, they had really good chemistry. They had really good timing and stuff but that's the only one I could come up with but I would like to see Bailey versus Io if Io was champion that would have been the first thing I would have done obviously Bailey might end up losing I don't know you know Triple H said that booking is hard booking is definitely hard when you want to pick a winner and you want to keep story moving the story going but that is what I would do so I would definitely love to hear what you guys think who do you think would have been a very good first challenger for Io Sky if she would have dethroned Bianca? Now, as we're finishing up this little fantasy booking here, the actual result of the match at WWE Backlash was the following: Bianca Belair versus Io Sky for the Raw Women's Championship title ended with Bianca retaining the championship title by the way the match itself was fucking fantastic it was great both women are phenomenal and Bianca keeps getting better and better and better and she's having this nice chemistry with most of the women now which I appreciate and I love the fact that she's taking time out to put the work in so lots of props to Bianca lots of love to Bianca but I still think that we need new champions, especially now that the draft is going to be implemented on May 8th tomorrow. And going forward, we should have had a new champion coming into Monday Night Raw. Just saying. Next, we have Seth Rollins versus Osmos. And that was a very interesting match. Everyone online was like, why is this match happening at Backlash? But they need one big match at these pay-per-views, which is fine. You know, I would have enjoyed a little bit more story. Like if Seth Rollins was still doing the King Slayer, he could have switched it up and did like the Beast Slayer because Osmos is like eight feet tall, 401 pounds. You know, he's tall. Me, I'm short. I would get lost in the shuffle. Like, you know, just doesn't compare. And also you can see the size difference between Seth and him as well. The crowd really enjoyed it. It was great. It was fun. Like I said, nothing too much to really talk about, except for the fact that Seth Rollins is the workhorse of WWE. And with Monday night just around the corner, tomorrow night, May 8th, that will be the start of the tournament to crown the first ever world heavyweight champion. WWE. Now, do we think that Seth Rollins is going to be in this tournament? I think he's going to be in this tournament. So what's happening on Monday is that we are getting two sets of triple threat matches. So I guess at the beginning of Raw, we might get the first triple threat match. And then at the middle, we'll get the second triple threat. And whoever wins those triple threat matches are going to face in the last match to declare one winner for it all, for it all meaning of the tournament on the raw side. So that way that winner could go on to Saudi Arabia at night of champions to face the SmackDown winner for the world heavyweight championship title. My guess is that Seth Rollins is definitely going to be in this tournament bracket. The other two that are going to be in this tournament bracket from My opinion and who I think is going to be there is going to be Cody Rhodes and Shinsuke Nakamura. So for those of you that are listening, let me know who do you think is going to be in this tournament. Now, Seth Rollins versus Osmos was fun. Like I said, I'm bringing it back around. Our winner for that match was Seth Rollins. He did a top rope curb stomp to get the victory. Next, we have the triple threat match for the United States championship title. Austin Theory, who is our champion, defended it against Bronson Reed, who we know as Jonah from New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Bobby Lashley. This was a very fun triple threat match. Again, the Puerto Rican crowd was hyped, and they loved it. They enjoyed it. Bronson Reed moves like no other big man in this sport. He is truly something special, and the way he just manhandles Bobby and Austin Theory and does what he needs to do, it's a very powerful example of how to be a big man in the modern world of professional wrestling. And big man like Bronson Reed was definitely needed back then because they were looked at as a spectacle, and he probably still is looked at as as a spectacle, just because of the great things that he can do, things that no other person can really do. And he could move exactly like Samoa Joe. I don't really want to compare the two, but just to give you an idea of how quickly Samoa Joe can move despite his size, the same thing can be said for Bronson Reed. And also I would like to remind my audience that in New Japan Pro Wrestling, Bronson Reed was Jonah and Jonah defeated Okada, which is very unheard of, of foreigners or gaijin beating really top tier guys in new japan pro wrestling it's like few and far between so i carry that fact very proudly anyway in this triple threat match man i need someone to really take the belt off of austin theory like at this point i really don't want him to be champion he acts like edge he is the ultimate opportunist okay yesterday last night during backlash when I believe Bobby had speared Bronson or like something happened between the two where one was completely down and out and Austin threw one of them out the ring just to get the pin the one two three and retained the fucking belt like come on John Cena was right like John Cena didn't help at all in his promo to Austin Theory Leading up to their match at WrestleMania, and right now, no favors are being given to Austin Theory. Like, I just need someone to take the belt off of him and for him to be repackaged and everything. Like, I get that Austin Theory is one hell of a wrestler. He can tell a story. And him, by just hyping me up and getting me a little bit upset and me saying to take the belt off of him, he's doing his job as a wrestler However, we do need someone new to hold that championship belt. That United States championship belt should be given to at least maybe Bronson Reed, Bobby Lashley, somebody else on the roster, and Benjamin. Cedric also could use the belt too, like somebody other than Austin Theory. I think Austin Theory needs a character repackage. But at this point, I don't even know. Not even off the top of my head, I cannot come up with something for Austin Theory. All I know is that he is the ultimate opportunist right now. He does things to get under people's skin, and he's very good at calculating the risk and leaving within an inch of his life. So he's very methodical. He's a very good character. It's just, man, you sort of want to root for him to lose, but he doesn't lose because he knows how to work the system of the match, and have it in his favor. And that is a very smart wrestler. That's like a veteran fucking move. That's why back in the day, we all got upset when the championship title went between John Cena and Edge. Because Edge was that ultimate opportunist. Edge was that risk taker, that calculating, diabolical genius that will wait in the shadows and strike when he knew that he was able to get the job done. That's exactly what Austin Theory is doing. Austin Theory is having all this help from outside interference, and the outside interference are not even like his buddies, not even his friends in this business. At this point, the people who are helping him win are doing it indirectly because they have a personal beef or just a problem with the people that he's facing already in the matches. So they're helping him out indirectly, but directly, if that makes any sense. Austin Theory doesn't pay these people off to be like, hey, come help me during the match. Austin doesn't call these people up to be like, hey, come help me during the match. Sometimes they just come out and help him indirectly to win the title, retain the title, and continue to do what he does best, and that is annoy the shit out of people and does a very great job of it. Like this whole entire rant. So, good job, Austin Theory, for retaining the United States Championship title against Bronson Reed and Bobby Lashley. But one day, Austin Theory's time will come where he drops that championship belt. And maybe a new Austin Theory appears. Like, I don't know. But for right now, me explaining his whole character, his motivation, and all of the little tiny details, I'm realizing how much of a fucking genius the booking is, the guy is, and how smart it is. Because again, in wrestling, if you can get the fan riled up to what I'm doing right now, you're doing your job. But... Shit, Austin, drop the fucking belt. All right, our next match is Rhea Ripley versus Selena Vega for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship title. Now, in the beginning of this podcast episode, I talked a little bit about it. I don't really want to go too much into the match, even though I think that it was wrong to have Rhea dominate Selena Vega when on SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown, this past Friday, we saw that Selena Vega can actually... Take Rhea on. Selena is definitely the smaller competitor in the women's division, but that does not mean that she does not pack a punch. That does not mean that she can be manipulative and smart in controlling the match. And she should have done that here with Rhea. Rhea should have never really got the supreme upper hand just because she's a bigger woman with bigger muscles, because at the end of the day, this is wrestling where both sides can get an equal opportunity to get their shit in, so to speak, meaning their moves and everything and getting the crowd behind them and stuff. But that's like one of the things that I disliked about this. The other thing, as you guys know, is that Selena did lose this match in her hometown when they should have given her the win. If they were going to give Bad Bunny the win, give her the win, too. You know, like, give her the win. Listen, my Puerto Rican pride is still hurt. Okay, it's like, you know, people who dreamed all their lives to do something in their hometown of their culture and then it gets taken away from them. And it's like, you know, when's the next time you guys are going to go back to Puerto Rico? It's going to be a while, you know. So let's just talk about story wise here and what WWE missed. Yes, Rhea Ripley just got the championship title belt, but if Rhea was not being drafted to Raw, then I could understand why she would keep the belt and I wouldn't be so upset. Because of the WWE draft, Rhea follows her Judgment Day teammates over to Monday Night Raw. Why does she need the Women's SmackDown Championship with her if the brand of Raw is red and the one who's carrying the red title is Bianca? Like, this is where it doesn't make any sense. You would have given the belt to Selena to create a bigger story, a bigger trust, and that would be someone new and fresh. Because, like I said, Selena played the long game in the WWE the same way as Natalia and that should be generally about it because no one else comes to mind. So like Natalia and Selena played the long game in WWE and they deserve their flowers. Selena deserved her flowers in front of the Puerto Rican crowd. Apologies to all the Rhea fans out there that like the fact that she's champion and finally got it. But sometimes you have to get the crowd to go home happy. And all the Puerto Rican fans that are in the United States Go home happy as well. You know, I think that would have been a very bigger statement for WWE to be like, okay, we're going to start putting the championship title on people that can definitely run the division. Selena Vega didn't have to be a very long champion. She could have been a short champion, which would have been fine. But at least Selena would have gotten that, put that on her accomplishments and have some really great matches with some of the women on SmackDown selena could have started a feud with bianca selena could have started a feud with asuka like there could have been other stories where selena would have been like i'm doing an open challenge for anyone to face me for this championship title and maybe some of the nxt women who got called up could face her and have one-off matches or that could turn into stories and angles and stuff and That's why it's sort of like, it doesn't make any sense, story-wise, why Rhea would keep her belt, why Bianca would keep her belt. And I hope that on Monday Night Raw, we don't do that shit where they just exchange the championship titles. Seriously, during Backlash last night, all titles should have changed hands knowing that the WWE draft is going to be in effect after Backlash. So that's the only logical way to do this. But no, that didn't happen. So yeah, story-wise, it was definitely a missed opportunity on WWE's part. Also, I really need Rhea to stop stepping up to the men and being like, I'll fight you. Come on, hit me. I'll fight you. That doesn't make a strong, independent woman. That just makes me think that she just wants to intimidate everyone and be the bully there is a time and place to prop up Rhea as the woman you don't fuck with having her go in front of solo and staring him down having her go in front of ray mysterio and being like i'll fight you what does that accomplish It doesn't accomplish anything That's not how you build anyone if someone is just looking for fights after fights after fights if that's not their character. There's a difference between the way that the brawling brutes do it, and it makes sense because they're always looking for a fight, but... Rhea most of the time is always looking for a backhanded fight where she has the upper hand but wants to prove that she is the top dog, the big person in whatever is happening by going up to someone's face and trying to intimidate them, trying to bully them. That's not the character representation you want to have on screen in WWE or in wrestling. Just because you're a bigger chick that has muscles doesn't mean that, like, the guys can't get as big muscles as you are. Like, it makes no sense to have these stare-downs when it's not needed. When it's needed, it's going to mean something, and the pop is going to be bigger, and the conversation is going to be bigger. But I really need Rhea to stop just going up to these men and trying to stare them down. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, there's no point to, like, do that at all. Like, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't give you anything. It just makes me feel like you're just intimidating men because we live in a world now where, like, men should be submissive. And it's like, stop that. Only intimidate the men when your team is getting disrespected. Only intimidate the men when you're getting disrespected and they're going to try and put a hand on you and you're going to defend yourself. Don't just randomly be like, I'll fight you. Yeah, you know, come hit me. I'll fight you. Don't beg or egg it on. In this world, we have way too many incidents where women do that, get hit, and then play the victim. Like, let's teach women a little bit better on how to be composed and really show off and really have that intimidation when it's needed because less is more in wrestling. Less is more in life. And you got to pick your battles. You can't just go into every single little battle thinking you're always going to win. I just wanted to put that out there because I'm tired of seeing fans be like, yeah, Rhea, woohoo, she's standing up to the guys. You know, I want to see that stare down. I want to see her fight the guys. Let's face it. She can't fight all the guys. She hasn't stepped up to Brock Lesnar. There's a reason why. I wouldn't even step up to Brock Lesnar at all, just saying. Also, before anyone complains to me, I do like to live in reality. Even if I know wrestling is kayfabe, I still like to live in reality and I still like to make sure that every single wrestler that I talk about knows that I care about them. Also, a chancleta is a flip-flop. Our next match was probably the most fun match to watch, a definitely good highlight And all around good vibes, good feelings. And I really wish it was the main event, but it really wasn't. It felt like a main event. It should have been the main event. But I don't know why they booked it to be in the middle of the card, and the middle of the show. But here it is. Bad Bunny versus Damien Priest in a San Juan Street fight. Listen, I just want to be Damien Priest's friend. That's what I want to be. I want to be his friend. I just want to hear him talk Spanish and I want him to be his tall self because that's all he can be and, you know, just hang out with him. Damian Priest was also Punishment Martinez from Ring of Honor. And I guess the reason why I want to be friends with Damian, because I know another Martinez and, you know, Puerto Ricans stick together. It's just a Puerto Rican thing. It's a friend thing. And I would love to be his friend, and I would love to one day interview Amy and Priest. Now, for this match, like I said, it was very fun. Bad Bunny knew exactly what to do, and it felt very normal and relaxed for Bad Bunny, even though I think that maybe he probably had some nerves in there. But once you go out and perform, a lot of wrestlers say that the nerves and the butterflies go away. Bad Bunny brought out the whole entire cart of... Weapons, because this is a street fight and usually when street fights happen I know they have to build up to the street fight right because it is a song and a dance and it's a choreography dance to in kayfabe and they have to build it up but seriously why are we punching and kicking and trying to do wrestling moves in a street fight start with the street fight This street fight did not disappoint, and that's because of both Damian Priest and Bad Bunny. I give Bad Bunny a lot of respect for training, for doing everything in his power and time to basically become a wrestler and take it seriously. That's what the work ethic is for Spanish people, is that once we find something that we love, we do it wholeheartedly and we do it nonstop. We wear our heart on our sleeve. We wear our emotion on our sleeve. And I really am thankful that Bad Bunny put in the work, put in the effort, and really went from zero to 100 and was really good in the street fight. Now, I'm not expecting Bad Bunny to do technical things like headlock takeovers and very technical sound things that technical wrestlers do other than headlock takeover. You know, be a very technical match where Damian Priest will not have the speed that he has or the height advantage that he has if Bad Bunny took out his legs. It's really cool to see Bad Bunny put a figure four leg lock on Damian Priest. It was really cool that he got to do a Canadian Destroyer on Damian Priest as well. But the in-between of this match where we had Legends come out was great judgment day comes out to try and attack bad bunny but then you have uh the lwo coming out with Rey mysterio and you have the return and i guess surprise debut of carlito man the roof in that arena in san juan puerto rico blew off the hinges it was so loud and everybody was so excited to see carlito Carlito has been taking bookings on the indies and also running the Puerto Rican promotions in Puerto Rico. So seeing him in WWE again so many years later was such a treat. And him doing the biting of the apple and spinning it into Dom's face. It was great. Dom and Finn back off. And then we have Savio Vega coming in and also doing what he does best, and it was a very, very good time. In the ring, we had Bad Bunny and Damian Priest to focus on, and we thought that Damian Priest was going to get the upper hand because of all the distractions, but no, that wasn't the case. Bad Bunny was definitely ready for anything Damian Priest had waiting for him to try to get the advantage off of the distraction, but Bad Bunny picked up the victory over Damian Priest in this San Juan street fight, And everybody celebrated in the ring, everyone that came out to help Bad Bunny and had him put on the LWO shirt and the crowd was ecstatic and it was a very fun, amazing match and I really did enjoy it and I had fun watching it. Our next match was the six-man match, The Usos with Solo versus Sammy, Matt Riddle and Kevin Owens. This match was chaotic. This match had a lot of story going into it. I think people are a little fatigued with the Usos versus Sammy and Kevin, even though I understand why it's getting a little prolonged. But at the same time, it is getting a little dry. However, the storytelling between the Usos and Solo is what I am here for. There are two sides to this, meaning me just talking about how the fans feel about it. And I can definitely tell that one half of the fans that feel that it's boring and it's tiring and repetitive never really watch the novella. Never really watch reality TV show where there was drama there. Like the Usos and Solo alone is the best drama there is because they're brothers and you feel it and you understand why Jay is the way he is. You understand why Jimmy is the way he is. And then you sort of understand who Solo is as well with the tiny details. It's all in his face. It's all in his mannerisms and how he moves, how he does things. Solo doesn't have to talk like the Usos talk. Solo's greatest storytelling ability is the way he looks at you the way he moves the way he puts on the tape the way you can see that he's listening to what paul heyman is saying but at the same time you know he's conflicted you know that he's probably thinking about something else so there's a reason why the other half of the wwe fans or fans in general enjoy this story now i will say that fighting against sammy and kevin is not really going to progress the story any further during this match we did get a we want roman chant from the puerto rican crowd and i'm like roman should have showed up at puerto rico they would have loved him they want to see the big spectacle big superstars and that's why they asked for roman it's not like here in the states where we are like fuck you roman because we are tired of him and tired of him holding those championship belts hostage Now, what I really enjoyed about this was just the story interaction between Jay and Solo and Solo being conflicted that he has to eventually take out his brothers because that is what he's been instructed to do because the Usos have not been on a very good winning streak as of late. So it's very interesting, especially when we saw Solo grab Jay and was about to spike him And Jay yelling at him to be like, we are your brothers? He's not. And then also to tell him to do it because he knows that Solo has to do it. Like there's something in his mind that it's like eventually is going to come and happen and take them out of the bloodline because Solo has to do it. Jay is probably not 100% sure on this, but after last night, I really do think is going to be 100% sure that eventually it's going to happen. And Jay has to also protect his brother. Even though Jay is sort of realizing now and not really want to accept it, that Sammy was right all along. Sammy will be right all along until Jay decides to take down Roman. Because Jimmy is not going to take down Roman Reigns because... In Jimmy's mind, he has already accepted his place and where he falls in the bloodline family. While you have Jay questioning things, looking at things from a different perspective and listening to how people are talking to him, his brother and Solo. And by the absence of Roman Reigns, it's like, bro, you call yourself the tribal chief, but you're not even there. Your family is falling apart. If the tribal chief knew that his whole entire tribe was falling apart, that person will get on stage or somewhere where he can speak and get everybody riled up and get everybody back on track and back in unison. You know, if any fans out there watched Tales from the Territory and the one about them going to the polynesian islands and when i say them i mean the very old school wrestlers and this is the first time that they get to meet the samoan tribes they get to meet high chief peter maivia and the story that they told about peter was that since he was the high chief there were often times of distress amongst the tribe and everything and the people and he was the only voice of reason that they will listen to and they had an incident and the only way to quiet down the people and I think this was happening during the match was that he had to reinforce that he was the chief the leader and under his rule and guidance nothing bad will come like he had everything under control And reassured everybody that things would be fine because a situation happened. It's been a while since I watched that episode, so I'm very fuzzy on all the details. But that's the gist of it. Him being High Chief Peter Maivia, a tribal chief of the Samoans, you know, of the Polynesian people. He unified them so that way nothing bad would happen during that situation. And what has Roman done? Roman has set... Complacent on his supposed island of relevancy, never to be seen ever again. Only when he feels like it. Like, sir, your family is falling apart. Ah, that's all right. I'm not going to be there. They'll be fine. So it's like, dude, get off of your supposed island of relevancy. Go fix your family to be the strongest unit there is in WWE. Before everything falls apart and you're alone and everything that Cody Rhodes has said will come true. Despite Solo and Jay Uso arguing most of the time during this match, Solo picked up the victory for his team because he blind tagged Jay and came into the match. And Matt Riddle thought that he had the right opponent pinned, but that wasn't the case. So... Solo did the Samoan spike to Matt Riddle, rolled them up, one, two, three. Solo got the victory for the Usos. Jay was ecstatic and smiling, and Jay just gave Solo the only look. And they all have to somehow be on the same page, but that's probably not going to happen because, again, Solo has to take them out, but we don't know when that's going to happen. And that is why this is still one of the best stories going because right now, Instead of calling it the bloodline storyline, it's basically the Usos storyline and their obstacles that they have to get over. Our main event for Backlash in San Juan, Puerto Rico was Cody Rhodes trying to finish the story versus Brock Lesnar. This one to close the event was kind of weird, but I don't know why and I don't have an idea why they would do that. And it was a short match, Cody Rhodes coming out to a very huge sing along, especially the woe part of his song, which was amazing. Cody Rhodes is so over; he is the hugest baby face of w w e and you know he has to finish the story somehow some way he has to finish the story. Brock Lesnar comes out that's always a treat for fans and Cody Rhodes started from zero to 100 because he knew that he had to get his hands on Brock Lesnar very quick because Brock Lesnar is a force to be reckoned with. And Cody Rhodes was using the outside to his advantage until the bell rang. And then all of a sudden we were introduced to Suplex City, which is super annoying, super boring and doesn't really do anything. It is very similar To what Wardlow does on AEW with the Powerbomb of Symphonies, and fans are so bloodthirsty that they don't want to tell AEW, Tony Khan, and Wardlow to stop doing that shit because it's gonna turn out to be like Brock Lesnar, where it's not going to mean anything. Brock Lesnar gets somewhat of a pass, and I hate saying that, and that's because of how many years he's been in the business and what he's done, and then going off to UFC. So he gets a pass, but it still doesn't make or break anything. It's just like, bro, stop it. We get it. You could do suplexes. Awesome. The same way with Wardlow. Awesome. You could do power bombs. Anyway, this match, like I said, was short. Cody Rose managed to get an opening where the turnbuckle pad came off, mysteriously came off. Who in WWE has that Yano power that, or better yet, has that house of torture power, that Dick Togo power to take off the turnbuckle without no one really noticing it or loosening it up? So Cody Rhodes manages to grab the turnbuckle. It magically comes off. And again, ladies and gentlemen, in professional wrestling, the drop toho is your best friend. So Cody Rose goes and does a drop toho, and that causes Brock Lesnar to get split open and the blood gushing down his face. That was real. That was like a holy shit moment. Like, damn, man, we got busted open. Way better than John Moxley, because Moxley does it every fucking time to get busted open whether it's real or it's fake it gotta stop john stop getting busted open so lesnar is still fighting cody rhodes as the blood is gushing down and there is one part in this whole entire match where brock lesnar puts on the kimura lock on cody rhodes there is nowhere for cody to go However, Cody is smart and crafty and decides to pin Brock Lesnar. And using all of that momentum, managed to get a quick, a very quick one, two, three. And Cody Rhodes is victorious against Brock Lesnar in a very unsuspecting way. And it was genius. It was good. Brock Lesnar was there like, what the fuck happened? And Cody Rhodes rolled out, went to the back, didn't even celebrate because he knew that if he celebrated, he was probably going to get beat up by Brock Lesnar and that's something he probably didn't want. So that was the main event of WWE Backlash, Cody Rhodes winning over Brock Lesnar with a simple roll up, I guess, while he's still in the Kimura lock, very surprising, So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this whole entire episode, and you made it this far. It is very long-winded. I apologize for that, but I wanted to get this whole entire Backlash review out to you guys and for you guys to listen to. As always, you can support the Square Circle podcast. By the way, I didn't even introduce myself to you guys I'm your host, Marie Shadows on the Square Circle Podcast, talking about the WWE backlash. But again, if you want to support the Square Circle Podcast, because I have no backer, I have no big website, I have no machine, I don't have anything big that can support this. All I have is you, the very listener that is listening to this, the one that supports me through sharing, commenting, liking interacting with me on live streams interacting with me in the discord reading the newsletters that i send out and everything else that i do behind the scenes it is all of you that is keeping this going and this is how you could keep it going further there are two things that i would love you guys to do the first one is i'm going to leave the link to my wrestling newsletter squared circle society in the description below wherever you listen to your favorite podcast on or you could just type it in marieshadows.substack.com i have been rethinking revamping recreating everything that i do to have a fresh new updated look the newsletter will still be an extension of this podcast so whatever news that i report on The newsletter will not necessarily be in these podcast episodes so you will have to sign up to the newsletter to get your wrestling news fix there please keep in mind that i do not do any type of rumor mills everything is all kayfabe everything is basically selected for you to know and then i want to include more vlogs more reaction videos On my newsletter because I have the tools necessary for you guys to watch video within the email that is given to your inboxes. The same way that I could do on Spotify, that Spotify supports video. I really want to focus where my core audience is and give you guys the the best of the best of the best of the best of the best versions of all of my content because I believe in my content and I believe in you guys as well. So the first thing is sign up to the wrestling newsletter. If you have not signed up yet, Marie There's exclusive interviews, media press, anything that I do in the wrestling business will be on there. And by the way, May 9th is one year of having that wrestling newsletter So please go sign up at marieshadows.substack.com. The second thing that I would love you guys to do is if you have a Discord, join my Discord. It is a very small baby wrestling Discord that hasn't really grown in a while. And the Discord is to keep all of my core fans together in one place. Discord is able to use audio and video tools for us to talk about wrestling for us to see each other when we talk about wrestling it's good for that aspect it's also good for you guys to keep up to date on everything that i do from the bookings that i get by the way may 20th i will be in new jersey for goddesses of war event and i will be their commentator that goal of mine has now been accomplished So that is something I want to celebrate with you guys. And to know all of that and more, I would love for you guys to also sign up to the Discord. Join my Discord. The Discord link will be in the description of this podcast episode and everywhere else you listen to your podcasts on your favorite platforms. So... I cannot say the link of the Discord because it's a bunch of numbers and letters, but just know that I would appreciate you guys to continue to stay in contact with me, is to sign up to the newsletter, and also join my Discord, and you will know when I go live, when I post something, when I share something, like, it'll happen in the Discord. Twitter is so very vast that I can't really grab everybody despite having... 2k plus followers and I'm like I need something to bring everybody together that has supported me since day one and I would love for it to be in this discord and the newsletter so again sign up to the newsletter marieshadows.substack.com and the discord all links will be down in the description below and I want to say I really appreciate you guys thank you for listening this far and possibly I'll see you guys on the newsletter. I'll see you guys in the Discord. I'll see you guys when I live stream. And yeah, thank you so much for always supporting me and listening to these podcast episodes. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please make sure to tell a friend, share it, talk about it, and maybe even answer some of the questions in this podcast episode. So that way I can have a dialogue with you, have a conversation about this with you, because without you, there wouldn't be this. So... Help me out. I love you guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is my review for WWE Backlash in San Juan, Puerto Rico. You have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.